You're listening to A Prophet, a collaboration between Sakhlain and Al-Hujja Islamic Seminary. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider becoming our patron by donating at sakhlain.org support. We continue our journey into examining the life of the Prophet and in the last several classes we've been examining his personal akhlaq, his personal character, his personal mannerism. One of the qualities of the Prophet that our hadiths mention is the following, What's ma'adhira in Arabic? Apology. When someone apologizes to him, let's say the person wronged the Prophet in some way. When he would apologize to the Prophet, the Prophet would accept. This was one of the sunnah of the Prophet. Whoever apologizes to him, he would not tell him, no, you're lying, I don't accept your apology. Even if that person's not sincere. He had such impeccable character. When someone comes to him and shows that humbleness and apologizes, he accepts. And Al-Imam Hussain has an amazing hadith. He says, the one who does not accept the apology of the one apologizing may be prevented from receiving our shafa'a. Because I heard my grandfather Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi, that he's not one of us, the one who does not accept the apology of the one who's apologizing. Even if that person is the one who's on the wrong path, even if that person wronged you. But as long as they're apologizing, accept that. So the Prophet would always accept the apology. Someone comes up, comes up to him, says, I'm sorry, I did the following, forgive me. He signals to him that it's okay. I'm putting an end to the case. And that's a beautiful quality that we can adopt from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Then the following passage states, The Prophet was the most person who'd smile. Because as they say, the smile is contagious, right? It just improves the overall mood and the atmosphere. مَا لَمْ يَنْزِلْ عَلَيْهِ قُرْآنٌ أَوْ لَمْ only when the Qur'an would be revealed to him in the state of revelation, the Prophet would not be seen smiling. Why? Any ideas? Yes, that excessive state of khushu. Remember, these are the direct words of Allah to you. Imagine, imagine someone whom you have a lot of respect for. If that person is directly speaking to you, what happens to you? That completely changes your state. You enter that serious, that uh, state of humbleness and seriousness. Now imagine if Rabbil Alameen just sent you a message right now. That's big. So the Prophet would always be in the state of smiling, except when Quran would be revealed, revealed to him. No, you could see seriousness on his face, humbleness and seriousness. Or sometimes there's a maw'idha, you're admonishing people. 
You're reminding them of the akhirah, of death, of the grave. Obviously in those moments, you're not going to excessively smile because you invite the people to be serious when it comes to words of admonishment. مَا شَتَمَ أَحَدًا بِشَتْمَ وَلَا لَعَنَ إِمْرَأَ وَلَا خَادِمًا بِلَعْنَ The Prophet never used inappropriate, derogatory terms against anyone. Using profane language, indecent language, never did the Prophet ever do that. In fact, we have narrations that the true believers never say anything indecent, anything profane. One of the causes that make our dua not accepted is profanity. When we use profanity, Allah does not accept this mouth, the dua that it makes, if it says profanity. Now interestingly, you'll find that the narration states, وَلَا لَعَنَ إِمْرَأَ And he never cursed a woman. Why specifically is the woman mentioned here? When the Prophet did not curse anyone. Why is that the case? Regarding his wives later, yes. And that's exactly, you have to understand this in terms of the social context of the Prophet. In that Arabian society, men dismissed women. They considered them as second class citizens. So you can yell at them, you can harass them, you can cuss at them. It was normal for them. It's acceptable, it's okay, who cares, no big deal. So that's why the historians, when they documented this, they made it a point to say no, not even a single woman did the Prophet ever curse which was normal in that society, which was accepted. You can get away with it. But the Prophet never did that, which shows you his high akhlaq. And then, this one's nice. Whenever they would blame someone for something that he's done, the Prophet says, it's okay, leave him. You know, the person who's done wrong and he knows it and others know, know it, it's enough as a punishment for the person to be in that state. Now for you to go to that person and keep blaming him and telling him, I told you, see what happened? That's not the akhlaq of a mu'min. Not only did the Prophet avoid it doing that, but when he would see that happening in front of him, he would say, Da'u, leave him alone, khalas. He made a mistake, he learned his lesson, he's now in a difficult state. You don't have to go and now harass him about it. Have you seen some people, they're experts, when it comes to blaming others, don't blame others, that's it, leave it, drop the case. The person has faced the consequences of his actions, no need to come and blame that person. Because sometimes when people are blamed, what happens? Two things could usually happen. Why does Islam encourage you not to engage in blaming? Exactly, these are two serious consequences that happen. Number one, the person can slip into severe depression and just run away from religion, morality or that which is right. They have a very strong reaction. Number two, the person can become arrogant and stubborn. Sometimes when you did something, that's it, leave it there. If you be too hard on that person, you push them too far, then they start justifying and they'll do it more to avoid this whole blaming situation. It's never helpful. Yes, yeah, sometimes it's your best friend, you're giving them advice, you know, it's 
try not to put yourself in this situation and see what happened. You're saying it in a loving way. That's fine. That's advice. But to engage in blaming, no. The Prophet would not accept that. And when he would see that in his presence, he would say, Da'u, leave the person alone. This was from the akhlaq of the Prophet وَكَانَ لَا يَجْلِسُ إِلَيْهِ أَحَدٌ وَهُوَ يُصَلِّ إِلَّا خَفَّفَ صَلَاتَهُ وَأَقْبَلَ عَلَيْهِ وَقَالَ أَلَكَ حَاجَةٌ Whenever the Prophet would be praying, the mustahab prayers here. Because remember, the Prophet would pray the nawafil. Sometimes someone had an issue to discuss with the Prophet or he needed something from the Prophet. So he would come to the masjid, he would see the Prophet praying. Or he would come to the house of the Prophet. He would be told that Rasulullah is praying. Now praying is an act of ibadah. When the Prophet feels or knows someone is waiting for him, what does he do like some people? Not like some people. Some people prolong their salah. Or if they're doing some work, they slow it down just to avoid that person. <laughs> no, not the Prophet. The hadith says, خَفَّفَ salata. He makes his prayer light. Meaning? fast. He quickly wraps it up, then he goes and he tells him, do you have a need? Can I help you? See the compassion of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi How much he cares about the people. The Prophet would do his best. Whenever he's sitting down, he would face the Qibla. Facing the Qibla has barakah. Do you know that if you're just facing the Qibla and you're conscious of that, that's ibadah. Allah will write a good deed for you. So if you're sitting in the living room, you're having a discussion with your family, you're reading something, you're doing something. Sit towards the Qibla, it has a barakah. And consciously when you know you're sitting towards the Qibla, you feel Allah's presence more. And so you're less likely to do that which disobeys Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the Prophet, one beautiful habit that he had was to always face the Qibla, not only in prayer obviously, but also in his normal gatherings. Develop that habit. Believe me, it will change your life. These small steps go a long way in strengthening your iman. Many people ask, Sayyid, what do I do? How can I become very, very righteous? There's many things you could do, but these small steps go a long way in making you that firm believer in God who's always conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's what it does. It creates awareness that you feel Allah's presence. So you always have that spiritual state, you're sitting in your living room, but you know I'm towards the Qibla, it makes you more spiritual. It makes your heart closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is one beautiful sunnah that we learn from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Now the Prophet through his amazing akhlaq, he was truly loved by everyone. One hadith from Anas ibn Malik, who was a companion of the Prophet and he served the Prophet for a number of years. He says, لَمْ يَكُنْ شَخْصٌ أَحَبُّ إِلَيْهِمْ مِنْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ The companions, there wasn't a person dearer to them, more beloved to them than the Prophet وَكَانُوا إِذَا رَأَوْهُ لَمْ يَقُومُوا إِلَيْهِ لِمَا يَعْرِفُونَ مِنْ كَرَاهِيَّتِهِ لِذَلِكِ And when the Prophet would come, they wanted to stand up to respect him. You know how someone important comes, everyone stands up? Anna says the companions avoided doing that because they knew the Prophet did not like that. Now someone will object today, but even scholars have this tradition where if a scholar enters 
a gathering, everyone stands up for him in respect. So is this makruh? One answer could be that during the time of the Prophet this custom of standing up for the one who enters was maybe a royal tradition that you had to do for kings. Kings would impose on people to stand up in their presence. So maybe the Prophet wanted to make it very clear, I'm not a king here and I'm not acting king-like. I'm just a humble servant of Allah. So maybe the Prophet wanted to combat that tradition of forcing people to respect you just because you're wealthy, just because you're powerful. That could be the case. Or there were maybe some pagan elements to it, the Prophet wanted to avoid that. So Anas ibn Malik, he says, he was really the closest one to us. We loved him the most. That's not true for a lot of political leaders. Some political tyrants like Hitler, Saddam, people respect them, but not out of love. Out of what do they respect them? Out of fear. Or sometimes you're interested in gaining something. Anas ibn Malik says, no, we genuinely loved the Prophet and he was the most beloved figure in our lives. And the Prophet achieved that through his akhlaq, through his impeccable akhlaq. When we speak about the humbleness of the Prophet how he did day-to-day things by himself, a hadith from Aisha, she was asked, what would the Prophet do when he was like in the house? He wasn't busy teaching, preaching. She said, يُخِيطُ ثَوْبَ What's يُخِيطُ ثَوْبَ? He would sew his clothes, yes. The Prophet with his own blessed hands, he would sew his clothes. He would repair his sandals when they would break. He would fix his shoes with his own hands. And she said that the best action for him in the house was to sew clothes and to fix his clothes and to patch his clothes. This demonstrates to you how humble the Prophet is. And this is a lesson for us, my dear brothers and sisters. There is one beautiful aspect of Western culture of American culture. You know, some people tell us, you Muslims, anything that's Western, you're against it and you have this (laughs) extremism, radicalism. No, sometimes we say the truth. There is one beautiful aspect of Western culture, the concept of being your own handyman. You know that's mustahab in Islam. It makes you humble. The Prophet was the handyman. Something breaks, you fix it. Your own shoes break, you fix it. Imam Ali also had this quality of repairing his own shoes. And in fact, once the Prophet was asked, who will be saved on the day of judgment? He pointed to Imam Ali while Imam Ali was patching his shoes. And he said, the one who's fixing his his shoes, he and his followers will be the saved ones on the day of judgment. This really makes you humble. In some societies, some Middle Eastern societies or Eastern societies, If you're a person who's respected, you've got a political status, you've got a social status, you don't do this handyman things. It's not not appropriate. Why? Why this arrogance? You can fix something in the house, fix it, so what? Yeah, if there's something that requires someone with experience, bring them. But you can do the, the many things at home. The Prophet would do that in his own house to make you more down to earth. And this really helps with, you know, arrogance. So the Prophet was very humble in his lifestyle. He would sometimes fix the simplest things in his life, clothes, shoes. 